Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors, and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. Hello and welcome to Commodity Watch Radio. I'm Dominic Frisby and in today's program we take a look at UK property. A year on from last year's show, which more or less marked the top of the market, we look at where we are now in the great property scheme of things. On the show to share their views is estate agent John Woosley of Lauriston, editor of Money Week, Merrin Somerset Webb, private investor Michael Hampton, German property fund manager Reinhard Schuh, and financial advisor Jonathan Davis. Commodity Watch Radio at Mindsight.com So I'm talking now to John Woosley, who is the manager of Lauriston's in Putney. And when we spoke last, I think it was last June, John, things were already slower than they'd been a few months previously. You said sellers needed to be uh, more realistic about asking prices. What's changed since then? What's it like now? Uh, well, it's uh, as I thought. Um, in, in June last year, we were approaching uh, the, the peak of the market. Uh, simply, uh, it, it couldn't continue. Uh, lenders were actually lending six times a salary or a joint salary. Uh, there were um, first-time buyers who were getting 100% mortgages. Um, the market level was fueled purely on uh, the, the, the borrowing power of people who, who could only just about afford their mortgages, providing uh, interest rates remained at that low level. They would only have to change, and then, of course, they'd be in trouble. And those with uh, uh, 100% mortgages would immediately start going into negative equity <clears throat> as, the, as the market would start to fall. And this is, this is what's, what's happening now, of course. I mean, the, the interest rates went up from 4 to 4.5%, somewhere around there, up to around about 6%. That's about a 30% increase in the cost of borrowing. Uh, and yet the only way the market would be able to uh, continue uh, would be if the uh, prices instantly dropped 30% to, 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 to match it. Of course, that's not going to happen. The, the property market doesn't seem to function like other markets, the stock market, foreign exchange, oil market, or whatever, which instantly uh, find their levels according to supply and demand. The property market doesn't function like any other market. It finds its own level eventually. And I think the reason why it takes so long to, to, to find the, the level, especially if it's going down, is the reluctance of um, homeowners to reduce their prices. I mean, that, that's very interesting, and I think it's, it's kind of people have it in their mindset because we've had such an amazing bull market for 20 years or so. You know, people have it embedded in their brains. Property only ever goes up, and they won't accept the fact that perhaps property is going down. Yeah, the, and it's not only the, 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 the vendors that, uh, or property owners that think that. It's the agents as well. There, there are very few agents uh, around today who were around uh, at the last um, uh, peak and fall in the market, which was back in 88, 89. 
And uh, when you think then um, the, the market started sliding and it didn't start its recovery until early 93, so it was about um, a, a good four-year slide downwards, and then another three years or so to come up. In fact, so I reckon it was about an eight-year turnaround just for it to get back to the level that it was in 88. Uh, from then on, it's it's um, you know it's been rising obviously until of course um, perhaps uh, June July last year, where it's reached a peak. Uh, so ha have we got another eight-year cycle ahead of us? That's that's an interesting question. You lived and worked through the, that that last slump, and I, I remember I you just describing did, it last yeah. year. Yeah. How does this one compare? It, um, it seems to have been a lot more violent. Uh, yes, it does, because I think it's affecting a lot more people, because there are more property owners. Um, I, I think also the, the lenders uh, were, were, were even greedier this time than last time, um, which is uh, amazing, because there's been a precedent, and they, they should have learned from that. But uh, it's as though they were all caught up in the whirlwind of just lend, 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 no matter what. God knows what, why, why there wasn't more control over that. And nobody seemed to, um, to, to pay attention to what was happening. This is the extraordinary thing. Uh, there were a few people who, did, uh, who could predict what was going to happen. And I think you've only got to look at uh, John Hunt of Foxton's, who obviously being very well advised and, of course, a really astute businessman himself. And nobody knew the market like he did. Um, got out at the perfect time and sold uh, his company for whatever it was, 390 million. I mean, the company's only worth a fraction of that. Uh, bear in mind that the, the value of an estate agency is only in, in the name and the, the word. I mean, the, they don't own any of their sites or anything. They're all rented. Um, I think, uh, was it BC Corporation they're called? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> God knows that the, the, they must have realised their mistake by now. And what's, I mean, are you seeing lots of uh, estate agencies kind of going bust and people being yeah, laid off? Yeah, sure. You've only got to drive around and you see, you know, what were good, um, prospering corner sites now completely closed and whited out the windows. Um, we ourselves have uh, actually had to mothball um, some of our branches. Uh, it's necessary to do that because uh, in order for a, a, an agency or company to survive in this kind of climate, uh, you have to contract. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you've got to survive, otherwise you're just going to go under. I'm amazed so, at how quickly this has happened. I mean, it's, um, it's really only in the last nine months. It's, it's happened so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's happened uh, quickly, but it's not as though it wasn't, easily predictable. It's just that nobody wanted to accept that it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but then it's like a tap being switched off, you know. If nobody's going to buy, they're not going to buy. And why should a buyer um, buy a property now? Why should he? You know, when the, the interest rates uh, are probably pointing upwards, maybe, uh, when the, everybody in the, in the marketplace is, is telling the buyer, you know, not to buy, uh, the media especially, and you look at first-time buyers, you know, where do they get their influence from, their, their motivation to buy? Uh, certainly not from the estate agents. They don't really trust them. Uh, from the media. They will listen to the media, the newspapers, all the TV reports, and they're all totally, totally negative about the property market. I see. So why, why should anyone buy? Why, why would they?
How's this going to hit buy to lets? Oh, it's hit, it hit them big time. You know, remember buy to lets, they, uh, a buy to let investor can't can hardly get a mortgage on a buy to let now. Um, the, if they already own a property, then perhaps it's not going to be too bad because the, the letting market is, is good. Uh, when you think of um, uh, mortgages, and, and most estate agents will have a mortgage arm, they're not doing any business on that. They're not doing any business on, on or very little business on the sales side. So they're relying more and more on their lettings. And, and is the letting if, market buoyant at the moment? Um, it, it, it's, it's good. It's, as, it's, as, it's what we would expect it to be. Uh, there's a lot of property coming onto the letting market because if vendors can't sell and they want to move on with their lives, then they will rent their property. Mm-hmm. Remortgage at God knows whatever price, but remember they've probably already got substantial equity in their property, so they can they can remortgage, and uh, then buy elsewhere or move elsewhere or even rent. You know mm-hmm. they they want to move out of town, they can rent their expensive property here and rent a lot cheaper uh, out of town if that's what they want to do. As we go forward, what, what's your forecast? Do you see a, a return to uh, levels which are basically what people can borrow three times earnings, basically? Do you see a, an eventual return to those levels? Uh, yes. and in, uh, <clears throat> when, when the cost of borrowing went up about 30%, uh, I, I thought straight away, you know, very simple maths, well, the, the market should be 30% lower. Uh, and we, we, we're not there yet. We're... <laughs> It takes a long time for, for vendors to come to terms with uh, having to, you know, drop their prices. Uh, the market's reduced very much to people who, whose lives actually dictate the move. That's where you're going to get a sale, uh, or at least get someone who's willing to sell. Uh, the problem that um, uh, estate agents have, though, is once you've got uh, a deal put together, how long can you hold it together? You have to whiz that deal through as quickly as possible. Solicitors have really got to be on the ball. And sadly, a lot of them aren't. They've become very, very sleepy with less work to do. That deal's got to happen in, you know, the speed of light, all right, before the, the, the buyer gets second thoughts and cold feet, and, oh, the market's gone down, he's just read another article in the newspapers, and he's realized he's doing the wrong thing, and he pulls out. The hardest thing now is, is holding uh, the pipeline business together. Now, if I mean, what do you do if, if I um, get you in, you know, possibly to instruct you to sell my house and, and I think the house is worth half a million and you know it's not going to sell for any more than 400,000? I mean, how, how do you go about explaining that to the vendor and still explaining, trying to persuade him to put it on with you and not with Foxton's or someone who's going to overvalue it? Well, there's, there's no point in me taking on a property that I know is, is tremendously overvalued. Uh, it, they, they've got to listen to me. Uh, they can go on with, with another agent, you know, <laughs> above the market level. They're simply not going to sell. And quite frankly, you know, I'd rather that they did do that. And then I can, you know, apply my time to, you know, other things and looking after my branch and my staff and actually letting property. Uh, and then I let the other agent waste his time and energy proving that this property isn't that value. I'll keep in touch with, my, with that potential client, give them a call every two weeks, how's it going, how many viewings, blah, 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 and sort of in the nicest, politest possible way, I told you so sort of thing. <laughs> and when they soften a bit, I will pick it up at my price. But by then, of course, and I'll be probably warning them this, um, it will be even lower than, than, than what I originally valued. And this, this is the, the, the core mistake that a lot of vendors make when the market's on the, going down. 
it's like the tide going out, and they can get left on the tide line, you know, on, on the high water mark. They've got to, uh, they, they mustn't just simply chase the market down. They've got to be ahead, ahead of the market going down. Just as they are ahead of the market going up when they put the property on the market, it doesn't matter if it doesn't sell straight away because the market will rise to that um, higher valuation and they'll get their property. When it's going down the other way, they've got to do the same, but in reverse. You've got to be lower uh, than 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 you know the the market, or at least at least at that market level to catch the buyer quickly. If you go on at the market level, you will be competitive with the other properties, and yours will go before the others. And then, like I said, the agent's got to whip it through. And what type what what type of properties are selling best and and worst at the moment? Uh, flats, uh, the houses. houses. The houses are very difficult to sell right now. It depends on, on the area, of course, but generally speaking. Uh, the, the, the chains uh, now are weaker than ever for all, all those reasons that we've already discussed. So uh, probably the, 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 the prime properties to sell are the uh, investment ones where people think that they can buy something uh, and actually make a turn on it, make money on it, or keep or lock it away for a long term. Uh, in markets like this, properties that have uh, down factors are usually the ones that, that suffer most. Uh, down factors, I mean properties above commercial on busy main roads, uh, railway lines, council estates opposite, that sort of thing. Those properties will uh, drop more in value than uh, any other type of property uh, because the down factor weighs more heavily in, in the down market. However, however, at the beginning, at the base of uh, a market, when it's dropped to its lowest, those are the best ones to buy because they actually um, uh, rise faster, although they'll always be cheaper than the property with the non-down factor, uh, the gap between the two values will be a lot closer in a, in a higher market. So but those, are, those are good to buy. And uh, to any buyers out there who are looking to pick up a bargain at the moment, what would you advise them to do? There are, there are deals out there. Um, the, in markets like this, there's no substitute for square feet. You know, you want to buy uh, as, as much property or as big a property as you can for as cheaply as possible. Buy properties that you can improve on, uh, that won't necessarily cost too much to improve, uh, or properties that you can extend. You know, the, 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 the cost of extending uh, remains relatively constant, unlike the, the value of a property. People have got to concentrate on getting themselves cash rich. Um, they've got to start saving now, if they can. Uh, draw back um, on everything, make their living costs an absolute minimal. Uh, think about what the kind of car they drive, you know, changing that. Just cut back on everything, the type of food they eat a lot. Save up the money for the time when uh, in maybe two, three, four years' time, God knows when, but when the market will be right to reinvest in. And then come in. Come in big time and buy everything. Get yourself up to your eyeballs in property, but certainly not now. <laughs> well, John, this has been an excellent uh, interview, and uh, I maintain my statement that you're one of the few honest uh, talking estate agents out there, and it's been a real pleasure talking to you, and thanks for being so frank. <laughs> you always get it straight from me, John. <laughs> really well. Well, John Wesley, thank you very much. The agency is Lauriston's. Their website is lauriston's.com. And their manager is John Wesley. Thank you very much, John. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Dominic. Take care now.
You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. Erin Somerset-Webb is the editor of Money Week magazine, she's a renowned financial columnist and she's one of the UK's foremost property bears. Merrin, it looks like you were right. How far into this great property unravelling are we? Uh, not very far, I wouldn't have said. I mean, you know, the great thing about bubbles, or a great thing, terrible thing about bubbles, is they can go on for so much longer than you expect. I mean, we would have thought that the property market would have faltered long before it did. But now that it's gone, it'll probably go on, the, the falls will go on for a lot longer than people expect. There's been a lot of talk recently about how the property market is falling so fast that it'll be over in a hurry. And you started already hearing people saying that how things will pick up towards the end of this year, pick up at the beginning of next year. But once these things go, they, they really go. If I'm comparing this uh, unravelling to that of 1989, this one has fallen uh, more sharply, more quickly. It has, it has. But, you know, it also went up higher in terms of income multiples, in terms of absolutely everything. I mean, this was historically one of the greatest bubbles we've ever seen. Um, so it went higher, it's got further to fall. And the fact that it's fallen very fast doesn't necessarily mean it'll pick up fast. <laughs> Why should it? I mean, the, the, there's the, the same factors have come into play. We've got the price of a mortgage rising exponentially, and at the same time, we've got a sudden fall off in confidence. And once that happens, both on the lending side and the borrowing side, it's very, to see, very hard to see where it returns from. Yeah, I, I know you sold your place uh, a year or two ago, and, and you're renting at the moment. What, what signs will you look for before you start to, to buy back in? Well, you have to distinguish between buying somewhere to live as a family and buying somewhere for an investment. You know, and we, we sold, we sold um, I think, at the, in what, March sometime last year, so it was a great time to sell. But, you know, we have children, so we'll need, we'll need to buy again, and we'll buy when it gets to a point that it's cheaper for us to buy than it is for us to rent or when it's around the same price, and it, and it looks affordable in terms of our income, the amount of debt that we have to take on. Buying for investment purposes is, is slightly different. I suspect that's a little further away. Yeah. You know, that's... if you look... Uh, Sorry, Carol. Well, I was just going to say that's a very good indicator the, the, the what it costs to rent and what it costs to buy. That's normally a, a turning point, isn't it? Absolutely, but you have to remember again that markets always overshoot. So buying, you know, buying when it's a, a little cheaper to buy than it is to rent is probably not the right time. If you really want to hit the bottom, you've got to wait until it's quite a lot cheaper to buy than to rent. When you look at the returns and you go, my God, that can't be right. That's more like the time. And also, you know, when um, there was someone in one of the papers yesterday saying that um, the time to buy was when you could go to a London a London dinner party and no one would talk about house prices. <laughs> as good as indication as any. Even if you look on the on the website that have been predicting property crashes. Look at property, propertypricecrash.com, no, housepricecrash.co.uk. It's a wonderful site. But if you read the comments on it, what everybody is waiting for is the time to buy. So many of the conversations on, on the bulletin boards, etc., about when do we buy, when do we buy, when do we buy, when all these people give up, wander off and keep renting. Yeah. Then it will be time to buy, but they'll all have missed it. <laughs> will, will. <laughs> that, that's the thing that that's the, the the one kind of bullish thing is that people want mm. to own their own house don't they yeah absolutely absolutely they do and this is this is where this whole idea of pent-up demand comes from the most most irritating phrase in the property market pent-up demand and you hear it all the time this idea that so many people want to own their own homes that it's impossible for the market to fall more than a certain amount but of course pent-up demand is not an economic concept um 
it, pent-up demand just reflects what people want, not what they can have. You know, there are all sorts of things that I want, from large yellow diamonds to a detached house in Regent's Park, but because I can't afford them and will never be able to afford them, it's not pent-up demand. It's simply a want. Yes. I mean, if the money's not there for them to borrow, they're not going to be able to buy. Absolutely. And the mortgage environment has changed enormously. And people talk about when will the mortgage market go back to normal, as though the, the situation over the last three or four years has been normal. But it hasn't. It's been the mortgage market over the last few years that has been absolutely extraordinary. It's been totally unnormal. And we're not going back to that. We're not going back to it next year or the year after or the year after. We're not going back to it again until banks have once again lost all sense of risk and, and you know reached the same levels of madness as they did at the beginning of last year. And that's going to be a decade off. Mm-hmm. Or it should be anyway. Would you care to put a kind of a figure on it, a 40% decline by 2010 or a 20% decline by 2011? Would I'd be really surprised if the, if the property market as a whole fell by less than 30%. Um, you know, it's got to come down to it to an affordable level. It's got to come back to a state where, where house prices are in some way related to incomes, particularly given the way the mortgage market has changed. So this idea that they can afford 10% and be done with it, if you look look around you, you'll see that prices in, in many, many places are already fallen more than 10%. We had a roundtable at Money Week a couple of weeks ago where we had um, – the owner of one of the London estate agents in, and even only last year he was telling me all about how house prices in central London would never fall, what was the demand from the foreigners and all that. Um, And this year he was saying that, in fact, prices in central London have already fallen 20%. Not enough transactions to show up in the numbers, but he says if you want to get your house away and get it away in a hurry, you're going to have to take 20% off what it would have gone for last year. And further further out of central London, he said you go to Fulham or Ballam, you're talking 40%. My goodness, forty percent! I can't. My next door neighbour's a a developer in uh, Wandsworth Common, nice posh houses in Wandsworth Common, Mm. not quite Chelsea, but but you know, fairly posh nonetheless. And he says twenty percent already. Exactly, and if you go, you know, go further down, go go outside London, go to some of the the less desirable areas, and you're seeing prices off massive amounts. I mean, everyone knows about the new built flats that have come down sixty, seventy percent. And I was in Cornwall at the weekend, where there's this this constant talk about how there are enough enough not enough houses around St Austell. There have been developments going up endlessly for the last five years, and we've been looking at them, thinking, who is going to buy those? Now we have the answer: nobody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of these developments are being mothballed. And the ones that haven't have these rather desperate for sale signs up outside them. I mean, I, I can see the, dis, the distressed property coming in in places like that and also your city centre flats in, in the great northern cities. But, I mean, mm. I, I regard Merrin, Chelsea, as my rightful and spiritual home. But, uh, Quite right, uh, me too. <laughs> are we going to see, uh, you know, distressed property coming up for sale in places like Chelsea and Kensington? And- oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, for, for years now, the, um, the great bulls in central London have relied on, on this talk about um, people who buy without a mortgage and particularly on stupid foreigners who apparently will just keep buying whatever happens. But you have to remember that an awful lot of the, of the city buyers who are responsible for, for pushing up the prices in these areas are not as rich as you think and they tend to buy with very large mortgages and very often with mortgages related to their bonuses which they're not going to get anymore. Um, and if they're not going to keep getting 250,000 quid every, every 12 months to pay off chunks of their mortgage um, are they going to be able to keep these houses? Well of course they're not. So you're going to see distressed sales in, in Chelsea just as you are in Balham, just as you are in, in Leeds. You know, it's a, when, when a market crashes, it crashes across the board. No sector of it is immune. Um, it's not, central London is not immune. Cornish holiday houses are not immune. Edinburgh is not immune, much as it likes to think it is. Mm. And I don't say that just because I'm thinking of moving to Scotland. <laughs>
to get away. Um, <laughs> Buy a cheap house. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. Well, Merrin, th- that's very interesting. And thanks very much for coming back on the show. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you again next year. And see how much prices have fallen then. Well, it, it'll be interesting to see, but um, I, I would say at least 50. The, the problem is the indices lag reality, don't they? The indices lag reality, and quite often they never really reflect reality, um, you know, because each each indice has its own different way of being calculated. So it's very hard to get an across-the-board view from an, from an index. Much mm. better to talk to an estate agent. <laughs> I, will, I, <laughs> I will just say one, one other thing, is that even though we've seen, in the kind of companies associated with property, whether it's Northern Rock or Barrett, we've seen a complete disaster in the share price mm. and that, that would mm. suggest that the market is forecasting a complete disaster in property itself but in terms of joe blogs on the street they still don't believe that it's crashing yet i think a lot of them don't no i think a lot of them don't it you know it's been years and years and years of fast rising house prices and people have really bought into this idea that we're a, you know we're a small island the supply of houses isn't high enough demand for houses will never go away etc 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 when in fact depending on who you listen to there are somewhere between 800,000 and a million empty houses across the uk plenty of supply and at the moment absolutely no demand mm. all right well mary somerset webb thank you very much pleasure Commodity Watch Radio at Mindsight.com. Jonathan Davis is a chartered financial planner and has become, in many ways, the spokesperson for this great unravelling of the housing market. Jonathan, hello. Um, This is a lot more violent than uh, the crash of 1989. Uh, Hello, Dominic. I think it's fair to say that the velocity of the downturn has taken many by surprise. Um, yes, the the uh, the change in sentiment and the change in the economics, the numbers of transactions, the amount of lending, or not as the case may be, the um, the reduction in the house prices has been fierce. And yes has been much swifter and sharper um, and certainly more difficult for many um, than the, um, for the early start of the, uh, the 1990s crash. How do you see this downturn developing from here? It's, um, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. Um, the, uh, the big indices, the Halifax and Nationwide, show that year-on-year house price falls are around 5%. But, of course, what they're not saying is what the price falls have actually been since the credit crunch really took hold around September, October last year. Um, remember the huge queues outside Northern Rock branches. Um, I would estimate that um, actual sale transaction prices are around 15% down on nine months ago. Um, and therefore, um, come the autumn, we will see um, the indices showing double-digit falls. Um, I'm forecasting 10 to 15% fall for this calendar year, 2008. Um, in the indices, therefore, if they're showing 5% so far, um, I'm still forecasting a further 30% fall on average in the UK by 2011 or 2012. But you know, 
that'll just be the arithmetic average. Um, already, we're, we're only in the summer of 2008, we're only a year into the crash, not quite even a year, and already we've seen um, many properties falling by a half. Um, buy-to-let properties um, bought in 2005 and 2006 are actually going at auction for a half of what they were bought for. Um, it is very grim for many. Um, it's having a really devastating effect on the wider economy because, as we know, most of the Western economies are based on um, housing and um, um, borrowings and spending as a result of borrowings, etc. Um, and if the housing is going up, then the economy effectively is doing well, um, although that doesn't mean that the, um, the economic fundamentals are not unbalanced, as in too great a debt in society. Um, and um, there will be um, very large numbers of home repossessions, and we're talking hundreds of thousands, um, very large numbers of personal and corporate bankruptcies, and um, I would forecast up to a million extra unemployed um, by 2010-2011. I mean, look at the city. Um, in a radius of, what, um, 50 to 100 miles of the square mile of London, um, you've basically got the UK economy, largely, um, if you think of it in 80-20 terms. And globally, the, the financial community is, is hardest hit since the 1930s. Um, so when the city goes down, you will see um, the whole of the home counties in the southeast of England go down big time, and that will therefore affect UK PLC. Um, and um, I think probably actually the UK will be most detrimentally affected of all the Western economies because we are so reliant on the financial sector. Um, it really is very grim. It's, uh, you know, someone said to me, so how, how do you feel now that your forecasts are proving right? Are you happy? And I, I quite simply said to him, this is not a subject that one can be happy about being right about because, um, you know, for those who remember television of, sort of 25, 30 years ago, Boys and the Black Stuff, we're going back two boys and the black stuff. Um, of that, I have little doubt. What, uh, what signs will you be looking for before you dive in and buy yourself a property? Um, I certainly want to see um, average prices down around 35% from summer 2007. Um, and I want to see the odd property in my area. Um, we, we, we live in, um, in East Hertfordshire. Um, I want to see the odd property being marketed at 40 to 50% down on summer 07. Um, that would be the kind of sign that I'd be looking for. Um, but, you know, the assumption in your question is that we will be buying in 2011-12. I guess the answer is probably we will buy um, based upon what we know just now. But I'll just say this. Um, there's a strong argument um, that some are putting forward that this could be a 20-year Japanese housing and economic depression because the economic conditions, you know, the um, massive credit expansion 
etc., was very similar to the economic situation in Japan in the late 1980s. Um, now, at this stage in the game, I would give it a 50-50 probability that that's what we're going to see. Um, so it's not a given that we should all, if we have the money, we should all rush out and buy property in 2011-12. Um, it's probably likely, but it's not a given. Very interesting, Jonathan. Um, as we close, would you like to give out your website so that people can find out more about what you do? armstrongdavis.com. We're chartered financial planners. We're wealth managers. Um, our strap line is we're leading the management of wealth. You know, we, we advise, um, we sell advice. We don't sell products, although we do use products. And we are independent and impartial financial advisors. Good stuff. Well, Jonathan Davis, thank you very much. You're most welcome. It's great to talk to you, Dominic. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. Well, I'm afraid this is a programme rather overloaded with bears this week. Uh, on the phone to me now is Michael Hampton. Hello, Michael. Hi, Dominic. And he's sitting with Reinhardt Shoe. Hello, Reinhardt. Hi, Dominic. Now, both Michael and Reinhardt were property owners in London. Uh, Mike sold out in, I think, 2001, uh, Reinhardt in about 2003. So they, um, they sold out early. But they both have experience uh, in f investing in property in foreign countries. Reinhardt runs a property fund in Berlin, and Mike owns a lot of property in Hong Kong. Um, so let's start with that first question. Y you both sold too early. Um, how do you feel about that? Why don't you kick off, Mike? Right. Well, I sold in 2001, um, and that, that sounds terrible uh, for those who, who uh, think about the bull market going on to 2007. But actually, I'd owned that property since 1985, and I sold it for about four point three times of what I paid for it. So I actually walked away with a very nice profit. And uh, I don't really feel bad at all about it. I think it was a great decision. And the reason is that in 2001, the gold market was bottoming. The gold price bottomed in the middle of 2001. And I invested in gold shares. So my money actually multiplied, went up faster, quite a bit faster, invested in gold mining shares than it, than it would have if I stayed in property. In fact, at the moment, I'm sitting with a portfolio, quite a large portfolio of gold shares, and 10 properties in Hong Kong. So I've gone from one property in London to 10 properties in Hong Kong plus a gold mining portfolio, and there's no way I could have done that if I'd stayed invested in UK property. Now, before I bring you in, Reinhardt, let me just ask you, Mike, let me question your mentality. Um, your thinking about your house in terms of a money-making machine or, or in terms of its value rather than as a home. Do, yeah. do you see any flaw in that mentality? Well, look, I mean, I'm, I was then uh, a single person. I'm now with, with a partner. I don't have a family, so I can take a little bit more flexible approach than someone who's got kids to worry about. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I actually was ready to leave the place. I've been living there for quite a few years. Um, I was working from home. 
there was a lower ground flat that was very dark and depressing to work in, and I was ready to move. So my decision really was, I want to get out of this place. Do I keep it and rent it out, which um, I really wasn't thinking about that because I want to get my hands on the equity, uh, or do I sell it and buy something else? And um, I really decided that you know it was better for me to uh, get all of the capital out and have it for another investment. And at the same time, I was... I was more convinced that gold was bottoming than I was that property was peaking. And I thought I'd make more money in property than, uh, than I would in, in, uh, in, sorry, I'd make more money in gold mining shares than I would in property. And that proved to be the case. Okay. One more question, Mike, but uh, before I bring you in, Reinhardt, sorry. It's just that, I mean, a lot of people would blame, uh, this whole property bubble on people thinking as of property as a way of making money rather than thinking of it as a home. I mean, I suppose in an ideal world, uh, when people reach their 30th birthday, they would be able to go into the market and, and uh, be able to afford a property and then live in that property for the next 30 years. Um, and that's maybe what some people in the UK that post on chat boards and so forth would like to see. But the reality is that the property market moves in cycles. And I think the cycle is about 18 years long in most uh, cases. And, you know, one's life doesn't necessarily fit in at the age of 30. You're not always at the bottom of the cycle. You might be at the top of the cycle. And I think you've got to look at your own life situation and also the reality of a cyclical property market and see if there's a fit. Because if you try and force your own life cycle onto the property market, you're going to wind up investing at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's uh, turn the, the, the conversation over to you, Reinhardt. Now, uh, you're from Germany, and every time I meet a German, and they, uh, they're, they're always uh, mystified by the English obsession with property and, and indeed the, the how expensive properties in England are. Y you've worked here for many years. You owned a flat in East London. You sold it in 2003. Um, tell us your story. Well, Dominic, with hindsight, of course, uh, I could say that it would have been nicer to hold on to the property until the peak of the market in 2007, except, of course, nobody knows when the peak comes. And who would have thought that the banks were going to go into uh, an orgy of lending between 2003 and 2007? It can't really be described in any other terms. Now, but having said all that, Similar to Michael, I was ready to move at the time in 2003. Uh, selling my property allowed me to move much closer to the city of London where I work, to a much better area. Under no circumstances would I have bought again in that area in, at the same time of selling the house because that would have involved taking on an even bigger mortgage and plowing all of the equity that I released from the sale back, back into a new purchase. And the money that I did make from the sale, and, and again, I took away a handsome profit from that, having owned the property since 1998, that allowed me to invest in other things, including the stock market, which, as you may remember, bottomed in 2003. It allowed me to, to have the liquidity to put some money into tax-efficient investments like venture capital trusts and put money into my pension and, again, get the tax credits that are associated with that. And a few years later, again, the liquidity allowed me to go into the German property market. And uh, now I own 
a couple of properties myself and a, a major chunk in the property funds that I've set up in Berlin. So like Michael really, I've gone from owning one property to owning a couple of properties, albeit not in London uh, admittedly, but in other places. So I don't feel too bad about having sold in 2003 and I would not have been living in the nice area that I have been living for the five, past five years. Um, now, Reinhardt, after you sold your part, your, your house in uh, 2003, you went on, uh, you famously went on London Tonight with Kirsty Allsop in 2004 and told your story and Kirsty Allsop flew into a rage. Why, why don't you tell us that story? Yes, that's, a, that's an interesting story. Uh, ITV came round my new rented house and filmed me and asked me lots of questions about why I'd sold my house and so on, and I gave the same answers that I just gave you earlier on. Of course, at the time, I didn't have the benefit of hindsight, uh, but I did say that, look, I've made a handsome profit. I'm going to... Uh, at the time, I probably was a bit more optimistic about the property market falling a bit faster than, than uh, in, in a shorter period of time than it has done. So I was saying, and then I'll buy back eventually once property reaches rock bottom. And Kirsty then came on afterwards, after my piece was finished, and it was all pre-recorded, so it wasn't a live discussion, I couldn't reply. She flew in an absolute rage and accused me of insider trading, saying that this wouldn't be allowed in the stock market, that you, you couldn't sell your house and then talk down the market. Funnily enough, talking up the market doesn't seem to be a problem, uh, which is what Kirsty Olsen, of course, has done for years and years. So, but anyway, it triggered a lot of reactions. A lot of people saw this program and talked to me afterwards. And, and, and well, most people, I'd say about 95% of people thought I was completely crazy to get out of the property market. As a German, do you think our obsession with property and our, the way we leverage ourselves to property is, is, is absurd? Yes, I do think it's absurd to, to a degree. And it's not, it's not that this has always been like this in the UK. It is true that an Englishman says my home is my castle and the, the, the British have, have had much higher levels of home ownership than many other European countries. But until five years ago, I would say, there hasn't been this insanity about loading yourself up with debt at almost any cost just to get on the property ladder. In the 19... 70s and 1980s and also still the first, well, still throughout the 1990s really, what used to be the case was that you saved up for your deposit and once you had a good job and a good income and then you would get a mortgage and buy yourself a home and then live in it and not really worry about its value and whether, whether it was going up or not. And all this got replaced with a complete obsession with rising house prices and a, and a complete, really, fear fear, um, fear of being left behind, missing the boat, and also greed, of course, of amateur buy-to-let investors who thought uh, they could replace their pension with, with a property, with a highly leveraged property portfolio, which is very important to say, that highly, highly leveraged investment. What I like to say is that if you went to your bank, bank manager and you said, uh, excuse me, can I borrow one million pounds so I can speculate in the stock market with it, you'd be thrown out. But strangely enough, if you walk in and say, can I have a million pounds to speculate in the housing markets, they'll say, oh, yeah, please, sir, sign here. Mm -hmm. They used to. 
<laughs> not anymore. Yeah, not anymore, of course, yes. <laughs> okay, you both uh, have properties overseas. Mike, let's come back to you. What's your experience with property investment in, in other countries, in Hong Kong? The Hong Kong market is on a different cycle than the UK. In fact, the Hong Kong market made its peak in 1997, back when the UK market was a little bit off its low. And since 1997 to 2003, over six years, the Hong Kong market fell by 70 percent. I think the actual figure was 69. Is that in That's nominal terms or in real terms? In, in nominal terms, My more goodness. in real terms. Yeah, and and so what 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 that meant is you know virtually half the people were in negative equity. And the banks were in a terrible state about it. And what's come out of that is a much, much more conservative banking sector. It's very hard, uh, particularly if you don't have a very good job in Hong Kong with a very regular and reliable salary, it's very hard to borrow more than 70% in Hong Kong. And for someone like me who's uh, uh, you know, not really based in Hong Kong in terms of his income, it's hard to borrow more than 60%. And to me, that's quite a sound and sensible way to land, and that's, I think, where the UK is eventually headed. So I see that cycle in Hong Kong being headed up for quite a few more years. If it's an 18-year cycle, it might go up until 2015 or something. Um, so I think I'm in for a pretty good ride here. Do you was were things as ridiculous in Hong Kong in 1997 as they are as they were here last year? Yeah, there was a lot of speculation, and I think something like. I don't know the exact figure, but something like 10% of the properties, maybe more, were being bought to flip. And people weren't buying them to hold on to them. There was, there was a way of buying properties where you would put 10% down and have a deferred completion, and then you'd resell before you actually took it. And there was a lot of speculation like that going on at the time. Right, and uh, I wasn't actually living in Hong Kong then, but from what I've read about it, it was very similar to the UK last year. Reinhardt, tell us about your um, experience with property investment overseas in Germany. Dominic, the German property market is almost on the same cycle as the Hong Kong market from what Michael is saying. And the parallels are staggering to what's happening in the UK now. The, the, the immediate trigger for the German boom that peaked in 1996, mainly in Berlin and Eastern Germany, I have to say, that's the market that I watch most closely. The, what triggered that boom was tax incentives that were introduced in the wake of the German reunification and so on. But in my opinion, the, the, the ultimate trigger is, is, is not really that important at the end of the day. What, what happens around that is more important, and it's almost exactly the same what has happened in the UK in the last couple of years. What we saw in the mid-90s in Germany was um, banks' lending criteria being dropped further and further, people buying new-built properties at vastly inflated prices, uh, overstated rental income or expected rental income, incentives, when purchasing new build property uh, and effectively mortgage fraud, same what we were seeing in the UK by overstating the uh, the price with the incentives and so on. So all these things, all the same things. Now the, the cycle in Germany, in Eastern Germany, in Berlin, bottomed in around 2006. So I would have, I would say 2006, 2007. So roughly 11 years from peak to trough. That's 
possibly how long it might take in the UK. Maybe it'll be a bit faster because the market in the UK is a fast living property market. And values are down, prices are down in new build properties from peak to trough by about 70 to 80 percent. Now, if anybody here in the UK thinks that this is just going to be a blip and they're just going to hold on to their investment because it's long term and prices are going to recover back to where they were in 2006, as far as new build is concerned, that's, that's hopeless. And uh, I speak to many property investors here in the UK and they all say the same thing, oh, it's all right, I'm down 5%, I'm down 10%, it's going to be all right in five years. No, in five years, you're going to be down 70%. Well, th that brings me to my next question. How, how, um, how do we see the, 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 the UK property market developing? I must say, I mean, we, I'm hearing a lot of talk about 20%, 30%, 40% corrections. For new build flats in city centres, particularly in the city centres of the Midlands and the North, I see 70% corrections. I mean, we're already down 30 40 50% in some cases. Mike, why don't you kick off there? Okay, well, I, I've had a forecast for a long time of uh, at least two, three years of uh, expecting a low in 2010 to 2013. I don't see any reason to change that. Um, so I, I'm going to stick with that. Um, what... What it will be interesting is to see to what extent we get a rally off that low. I, I really think the next rally up will be nothing like uh, as big as the rally we've just seen. I think it'll be maybe half or less the percentage of gains that we saw in this last 18-year cycle over the next 18 years, and it could be a lot less than half. Um, but uh, one thing I want to say here in terms of uh, the market is that um, – Really, it's quite predictable in a way because if you look at yields, and I think Reinhardt might say more about this because he's been looking at this in more detail, but the yields now um, are really way too low in comparison to interest rates. And I think that's something people should be focusing on because at the bottom of the market, yields are going to be way above interest rates. At the market top, yields were way below interest rates. I mean, I think interest rates are running about 5.5%. And typical yields in London were something like 3.5%. So that's too low. Um, but maybe you want to continue on that. Yeah, the yield aspect is a very interesting one because it's, the great, it's a great indication of um, overpriced property or, or underpriced property, in fact. And as we all know, at the height of the boom in the UK in, in a year ago, also, people were buying property with even with negative yields in some cases, running a monthly loss in the hope of future capital appreciation making making up for that. But even on the less extreme end, the best you could hope for in the UK market in investment property was something around three and a half percent gross rental yield nets before voids, costs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you had a calculation you were showing me earlier today. Yes. Can you repeat that about? Um, how how we could easily see a 50% yeah. drop. In well, well, let me let me tell you that in in Germany, I'm looking um, I'm looking for at least a 10% growth yield, and that's because you have to pay your rental agent, you have to pay your costs, and you have void periods, and you pay for this and you pay for that, and I still want to see a decent net yield after all costs. So 10% is my starting point. Now, if you take the UK yield that we recently saw of so, 
about three and a half to four percent. If investors demand again, start demanding again, reasonable yields such as seven, eight, or nine percent, you can easily see how property values can drop by fifty percent or more. I, uh, by virtue of when when I was born, basically, I b- bought my first flat in nineteen ninety four. Uh, or was it 19, late 1993-94? And it was an ex-council flat in Fulham. And I've just done a quick calculation here. I bought it for £75,000 and I could have rented it out for £1,000 a month, which is a yield of about 16%. Had I bought that flat in 2007, it would have cost me three hundred and fifty grand, and the rental yield would have been about fourteen grand a year. Four percent. So that rental yield went from sixteen percent down to four percent. In in Germany now, uh, the yields are we're getting a gross yield of ten percent, um, but interest rates are lower than the UK. So the, the the gross yield in comparison with rates is a big gap in favor of yields in Germany. And whereas now I think yields are still on average below interest rates here, so they've got a long way to fall. You need to look at real yields. Prices have a long way to fall, I should say. Yeah. yeah, Michael, you need to look at real yields really at the end of the day. So you need to look at in- inflation uh, and interest rates. And what you have to do is you, as, as soon as you take the insanity out of the property market and the expectation of quick capital appreciation, uh, a prudent investor would expect to have a net yield on their property in, ex- in excess of uh, inflation. Yes. Uh, and, and of course, something better than what they could get in the bank. So that lands you in in the UK currently at what five, six, seven percent net, uh, and that equates to a gross yield of eight, nine, ten percent. And I think that's where we're headed. So if yields now are five percent, they're going to ten. That means prices are going to have, uh, except there'll be a little bit of room for increase if rents increase. But what a lot of people don't consider is what happens if rents drop. And I think there's a pretty good chance we're going to see that. The loose lending created the boom, created the silly prices. Now that lending has tightened and you can only borrow three times salary. So the average property price in the UK is going to become, is going to go back to whatever three times the average salary is. Except for the fact that so many people are going to lose so much money that it's going to be a long time before anybody can save up the 25% deposit that they need before they can get a borrow a mortgage of three times their salary. So mm. we're going to see an overcorrection on the downside beyond, it's going to go be- below three times salary uh, for as long a time as it takes to people to build up 25% savings. Yes. So, I mean, I think we're talking ourselves into expecting a drop of maybe 50, 60% in the UK property prices if, if we don't see some pretty interesting increases in rents and incomes here. Let's just, uh, as we close, let's just quickly discuss rents. Why are they going to go down? Well, I've got some figures here, um, which I took out of the Sunday Times. Um, First of all, Hamptons International, no relation to me, reported that London rental uh, stocks, the number of homes they have for rent in London, increased by 40% in the last year and 26% throughout the country. And that's against a 9% increase in the number of people looking to rent. So there are a lot more supply of rental properties coming onto the market. Now here's another interesting statistic. Um, and this, this in a way uh, is a mixed blessing here for rents, but 
Abbey National reported that 800,000 people in the UK want to sell their properties in rent. Okay? So you would say, well, look, those 800,000 people are going to add to rental demand, but guess what? The properties they're in now are going to wind up on the market as properties to rent. So I'm very pessimistic. And you add that in with the fact that a lot of the Poles and Bulgarians and other Eastern Europeans that came over to London the last few years, a lot of them are going home. They are. They really I'm are. I'm wondering who's, who's going to fill these pieces up. The, um, the other thing I'd add to that, Mike, is I read that I think it was Savills in Canary Wharf have refused to take on any more rental property. They're so inundated. That's amazing. Well, in, in a recession, which is, it looks like what we're headed into in both the U.S. and the U.K., in a recession, people will be looking to cut expenses, which means people will be looking to stay at home with their parents, to room with friends. There's going to be another source of, demand, of reduction in rental demand. So I think the, the prospects are for a fall in rents rather than a rise. A 70% correction, given all these factors, a 70% correction doesn't look so unreasonable. And people still don't believe it yet. The man on the street still doesn't believe in this property crash yet. Yes. Well, one phrase that, you know, that I've heard from estate agents um, is that the buyers are out there, they just can't get finance. <laughs> and I think it's really silly because that sort of assumes that the banks are going to go back to lending 80, 90, 100%, and they're not. They're on their way to lending 60 and 70%, not to everybody. Well, let me let me add the German experience to that. In terms of rents, rents were falling in Germany throughout the bust, in parallel with home home prices dropping, probably for the reasons for the same reasons that Michael explained. And even ten years, more than ten years after the peak in Germany, banks still have no appetite for lending. In Germany, they've been burned, and they've been burned badly, and they're not going to go back to loose lending anytime soon. And any talk about the banks soon starting to lend again is just wishful thinking. If I could just jump in there with one last point for me, I think the reason the cycle takes about 18 years is it takes 18 years to clear out all the people who have the memories of the last uh, last bubble, and because within 18 years, there's still people around who remember what went wrong last time and will stop the bank from doing it again. Mike, Reinhardt, thank you very much, gentlemen. And uh, Mike, do you want to give out your website address? Yes, I'm going to post some charts showing uh, prices in the UK on these long cycles in the US and, and in Hong Kong. So people, please come and have a look. And that will be on globaledgeinvestors.com Reinhardt Shu, Michael Hampton thank you very much great pleasure Dominic Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee for Mindsight with music by Manolo Camp to discuss the markets and have your say why not visit our bulletin board at globaledgeinvestors.com that's globaledgeinvestors.com